You know, someone once described marriage as a deck of cards. You begin with two hearts and a diamond, and you end up wanting a club and a spade. <laughs> you know, there are plenty of jokes out there that have to do with marriage, and maybe it's because we know what a struggle marriage can be in even the best of marriage, that we need to bring some humor to it. We know also that we struggle in our world with the onslaught that goes on. In fact, I remember being asked after one service when we were talking about Mythbusters coming out and someone said to me, so pastor, are we against the agenda that's going on in the world against marriage? And my response was, no, what we are is for biblical marriage. You know, to be against something, one of the definitions is to take direct action to negatively affect something. We are not here to take direct action against somebody. What we are here is to affirm what the Word of God says. And we hope in this series that as we go forward, we are going to draw from that very source book, the Word of God and its truth, and discuss what biblical marriage looks like. What we as the people of God hold to in the truth of God's word. So that we can be, as we say in this time of epiphany, a light into the world. To be against something is going to stop our voice in the world and people are going to push us off to hear. But if we stand in the light, in the truth, then we still have a voice to bring hope into the world. And that is kind of what we want to discuss over these five weeks, but we're also going to discuss our relationship as the people of God, as the bride of Christ, for that's what scripture calls us, Jesus' bride, he who has made us pure by the washing of the water and the blood, who has called us to be his chosen ones, that relationship that we have through grace and through love. And then we'll discuss the secondary relationships that we have in life. First, if marriage is the gift that you have been given by God, but then also if it isn't the relationships that we have with one another and the gifts that we have been given in this community of faith. You know, to look at what's happened to marriage in our country and in the press and in the onslaught that has taken place would make one just lower their heads, but it isn't just against marriage, it's against all that we know that the Bible tells us is supposed to happen in this relationship that God created. In fact, it says that 41% of newborn children are born outside of a marriage relationship, never what God had intended, never God's design. You know, marriage is, as I said, hard enough as it is. There are challenges and struggles. There are battles that go on often in marriages. So it's not just enough that there are things outside that are pressures, but there are inside pressures also that make it a challenge. And it is appropriate as we look this morning that we should go back to the very beginning of Scripture to the book of Genesis, the very thing that when Jesus was asked a question about marriage, he turned back to that same scripture to uphold what God has done, 
to draw the truths out of that scripture and some of the points that we need to look at as we consider what we see in Genesis are the following. First of all, Adam did not invent marriage. God invented marriage. It was God who saw and decided what needed to be done. God is the one who created Eve for Adam. It was not Adam's idea. It was God's idea. And even in any marriage where there are struggles, we must remember that this is still God's ideal and God's design for the world. We do not abandon something just because it is hard and it is a struggle and we might have to work incredibly hard to keep something going. That's the challenge we have as sinful human beings in this world. So let's look again at some of the scripture that we heard this morning and talk about what's going on there. I'm just going to begin at the verse, So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air in the sky, and the wild animals. You know, this was Adam's first job that God gave him that the animals would be named by him. And I want you to think about that in terms of pets, maybe, that those were to him. To have that relationship with all the creation, the livestock that had been created in the world. Not like you and I, where they have that fear of us that came after the flood. But to be in harmony with the creation that God had made for them. To call them by name. They came and they were paired in different pairs and groups And Adam saw that, but realized it wasn't Adam who looked at that and began to wonder why God hadn't done anything. It was God who looked at that. It goes on, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. You know, in Genesis 1, it says, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Again, it is God who realized that Adam needed someone to complete him. It wasn't Adam longing for something different than what we would call his primary relationship. His relationship first and foremost with God, our Creator. What an incredible relationship that was for Adam before the fall. To be in complete harmony and love with God. To be in the presence of the Trinity. Something that we won't see till we are on the other side of this veil to behold the glory in heaven. But Adam knew God. Adam was in love with God. Adam was fulfilled with God's presence. But God realized that Adam needed more. He needed someone suitable for him. Adam needed to have another with him. And there's some points that we need to draw out of Genesis that as we look at biblical marriage that we hold on to and we say this is what the Bible teaches. First and foremost, God only made one person for Adam. God didn't make a bunch of Eves for Adam and say, now Adam, here's a bunch. Take your choice. Have had all of them. God made one person. And from that we can draw the conclusion that marriage is to be monogamous. One person in that relationship with each other, not many. God made also then a woman 
as the scriptures say, for Adam. God didn't make a bunch of Adams and Eves and say, hey, have at it, make your choice. He made for Adam that woman. So we know that that is what God wanted. And the Hebrew word, as it talks about being complete and being suitable, literally means like what we would think of a jigsaw puzzle, two pieces of the puzzle that fit together to make one. And if you think I mean what you think I mean, yes, that's what it means in Hebrew, that these two parts are made to go together to become one. That's why we say they will become one flesh and one heart and be together forever. And then finally, it is God who gave Eve to Adam. What an incredible thing, ladies, to have God be the one to give you away for your wedding. But what we can draw from that conclusion is that we as human beings, as we look to marry or as we are married, need to realize that we need to understand who it is that God is bringing into our life. That it is important to look at what they believe of their relationships to understand what God wants for us. God is not going to bring into our lives someone to complete us who doesn't first and foremost have the primary relationship with Him. You see, the Scriptures say that we are not to be unequally yoked with a non-believer. It is important for the sake of the marriage that we are with someone that we can worship with, that we can share with, that someone who understands first and foremost that most important love in their lives, our relationship with God, our Father. That's the primary relationship that all of us have. That's the primary relationship we have as we talk about being the bride of Christ. That first and foremost is our relationship of grace and love and forgiveness that has been given to us through Jesus Christ on the cross and what he has done to make us once again children of God. As we look at this title today, I Take You, Finding the Love of Your Life. You know, I have to tell you a story that happened to me many many years ago, far away, but in this galaxy. In undergrad school, I was sitting in a class called Marriage in the Family, and we were discussing just this very thing, finding the love of your life. What were the plans that God had for us in finding a mate? And I remember as we sat in a circle, uh, I think I was a senior and it was a freshman on the other side, a young girl who said, well, I, I just know that God has already, you know, created the person out there who is going to be that one person for me, and I'm just going to wait until God brings me that person, and then my life is going to be complete. And I sat on the other side and started laughing sarcastically. And the prof looked at me and said, why are you laughing? I said, are you kidding me? That somebody really, you're going to sit there, what do you think you are, Snow White? And the prince is going to come and find you? God gave you a brain. He expects you to use it. He expects you to evaluate these things that we're talking about, about somebody who knows God, somebody who shares your faith. He expects you to find that person that he has created and to know in that relationship that it is God that brought that person to you. So the question is, do you think that then we are only destined in life to marry one person? 
You know, I posed this to my wife this week and my daughters who were married when they were here. And, you know, the answer for us is no. There isn't just one sovereign person in life that we are destined to marry. We can marry, we're given the choice in life to marry many people. And each one of those people that we might have chosen is going to have a different outcome in our lives. But if we are going to have a marriage that is going to have Jesus Christ as the center, that is going to have the grace and forgiveness that we are going to need to survive the years that will come and the onslaughts of things around us. We need then to find a person who first and foremost shares our faith and is in love first and foremost with God our Father. That is the dependency. It's so important in our relationship to have that priority. You know, there's a book by an author named Gary Thomas. It's called Sacred Marriage. And he makes the statement in that book, and he says the following. What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than happy? What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than happy? I want you to think about that in terms of relationships, terms of bringing forgiveness to one another of encouraging one another in our faith walks, of encouraging one another in prayer and Bible study and all of the things that are so important to us in that primary relationship that we've been given through grace from our Savior. What if that's what God's intention was for people coming together in this union of marriage, to struggle together in those things, to forgive one another, to love one another, to share in those incredible gifts that we have been given so that we, as a partner, as a pair, can be people who seek the Lord's will together. You know, our world paints such a different picture in all that it portrays in relationships. First and foremost, that we are only here to be happy in our relationships. And as long as you make me happy, fulfill my needs, my wants, and everything else in life, then you fit in my relationship. Whether it's a relationship of marriage, whether it's a relationship of friendship. But God has different intentions for us in our secondary relationships that we would encourage, as the scriptures say, one another, that we would build one another up, that we would share with one another joys and sorrows, heartaches and victories. You see, God wants us to grow together in whatever relationship he has given us. And in the difficulties that we have in life, it is important to realize what God's intention is in marriage and in our lives. You know, I don't know if you're somebody who is struggling in a relationship right now, in a married relationship, in a friendship relationship, whatever kind of relationship it is. But first and foremost, for that relationship and all others, you need to be somebody to go back to that primary relationship with God alone, to be in His Word and His will, to fall back in love again with that first love who loved you before all others. That's what we gather from this book of Genesis. That when those relationships first and foremost were right for Adam and Eve who loved God more than anything else, their coming together in that marriage relationship gave them then that love of their life. 
It's true for each of us in that, and it's true for us as the bride of Christ. Our relationship with our Savior Jesus Christ must be foremost if we are going to be a light in the world, if we are going to be able to reach others with the same love and grace that he has shown each one of us. You know, there's a quote by C.S. Lewis that I want to share with you as he talks about relationships. He says the following, When I have learned to love God better than my earthly relationships, I shall love my earthly relationships better than I do now. Insofar as I learn to love my earthly relationships at the expense of God and instead of God, I shall be moving towards the state in which I shall not love my earthly relationships at all. When first things are put first, second things are not suppressed, but increased. What Lewis is saying is, if God is first in our life, in that primary relationship that he has created through the waters of our baptism, then all the secondary relationships, whether we are married, whether that has been given to us, whether it has to do with friendships or anything else in the world, will also grow in that grace and that love because our focus is set now in the one that we need to be in love with first and foremost, the one who loved us above all other things and gave his life for us. Jesus Christ is the one that we love, who loves us. And that relationship must come above all others. We need to be in love with Jesus in order that the loves of our lives might be increased and find their priorities behind him. As we go through this series in the next five weeks, I hope as we look at different parts of what the scriptures say about marriage, as we celebrate the gifts that we have been given in one another and in our relationships that God has given us, we will see with new eyes how incredible it is to share this love of Jesus Christ, this grace given to us by his cross and by his resurrection, that it might flow over us once again, that we might be healed where there are issues, that we might come together once again as that bride of Christ, as the people of God, to celebrate the forgiveness and love he has given us. In Jesus' name, amen.